Hi everybody and welcome uh, to Syria Security Seminar here at Purdue University. Today is my great pleasure to introduce uh, Dr. Christine Heckman and Dr. Frank Stack from MITRE. They are uh, today going to talk about active cyber defense, defense uh, with the denial of deception. Hi everyone. So Frank and I are going to talk today about an experiment that we did last year and we collaborated with some other folks at MITRE, uh, one of whom was actually a graduate of the series program, Todd O'Boyle. So I uh, have some visions of future being able to run fun experiments in your uh, professional career. Uh, Frank and I played the D&D team in this experiment, so I have to forewarn you, the other team played the computer network defenders, they were the tech guys with the, the cybersecurity background, we were the denial and deception players, so keep that caveat in mind as you drill us with technical details. Uh, uh, there's also a red team on the other side, so there's a human team attacking the uh, environment that we're defending, and uh, the attackers were skilled in this. Uh, that's what they do for a living. So we knew what we were up against, and we knew they were going to be a fairly substantial adversary. So what ins inspired or motivated us to do this experiment was the general understanding that the attack surface is large. Traditional methods of trying to block on unauthorized access, uh, APTs, etc., is really essentially a game of whack-a-mole. It's uh, you know shutting systems down, patching them, reissuing credentials, and in the end, you don't really learn much about the adversary. The approach that that we're more interested in, in terms of trying to institute traditional kinetic denial and deception techniques that are used in the physical world into the virtual environment, we don't want to do that with adversaries. We want to let them in in a controlled environment so that we can learn more about them. We want to know what they're interested in. What sort of tools are they bringing? What kind of techniques do they have? What are their procedures? What do they seem to be interested in? In essence, what we want to try to do is provide these individuals with a, an enjoyable experience. We want them to come into the systems, we want them to get what they think that they want to get and leave essentially as happy customers. Uh, perhaps they'll come back and visit us again in the future and in which case we hope again we will service them with things that they desire. So that's kind of the goal of what we're, we're looking to do. The background for this interest in applying traditional denial and deception was our background. Both of us, as Kristen said, uh, neither of us are in the computer network defense business per se, but we've been involved in uh, both denial and deception analyses and counter-deception research for well over a decade now. And as we taught this around our various communities, we found people asking us, especially in a technical environment, so what can you tell us about cyber deception? And uh, we couldn't tell them much because we didn't know much. And then uh, to start this off, we did a, an analysis of the literature in computer security and the literature in traditional denial and deception techniques, and we found very little overlap, very little sharing of terms, very little sharing of tradecraft and technique. So we thought, let's see what would work. And what you're going to hear is a description of an experiment where we did exactly that. We took uh, computer network defenders and added a denial and deception team to support their efforts. 
against a red threat, uh, emulating one of these advanced persistent threat type situations. So we went into this experiment and we had lots of research questions, some, some of which were with regard to the blue team. Um, there were also lots of research questions with regard to the red team too and how do you penetrate a system and exfiltrate data and gather appropriate intelligence and whatnot. But these are some of the high-level research questions that we hope to answer with, with this experiment. And really the biggest research question that we had was how do you take traditional military mission system planning and how do you try and blend with that uh, traditional denial and deception techniques and do this in a computer network environment? So the scenario you're going to hear is basically a military type war game. The blue side has some military objectives, the red side has some military objectives, and you're going to see how the addition of a traditional, if you will, denial and deception planning and execution capability can support the blue side against their uh, red adversary. So we had the main objective really, as I said, was trying to investigate the utility of trying to use traditional D&D. So our red team needed to do a few things. They needed to have some compromised credentials. They needed to gain access to the C2 mission system that we were utilizing for the blue mission planning to carry out the military scenario. And then they needed to be discovered by our blue computer network defenders, who then, of course, had to coordinate with us to figure out how they were going to respond accordingly. We uh, started this with a scenario, of course, and uh, the blue side had its courses of action. And as we'll describe, that's always a big advantage to a deception planner. And we thought we would go into the uh, experiment with kind of uh, red has some advantages and blue has some advantages and vice versa. Both sides have some disadvantages. But as you'll see, uh, we got surprised. And uh, one of the interesting questions that spontaneously arose out of this, ex this uh, experiment was, does D&D &D help you when you get very surprised? And uh, of course, one of the purposes of D&D &D is, is to surprise the opponent, but uh, you'll also see it can also help you when, the, uh, when your side is, is, is suddenly surprised by the unexpected. Mm -hmm. so. So our, our solution method was, as we've alluded to, we're doing a cyber war game, the military scenario, we've got four teams, the white cell, keep in mind the white cell is the all-knowing, the dungeon master, if you will. They've designed this experiment, they know everything that's going on, they're the puppet masters. Um, you've got the blue computer network defenders, the blue D&D team, which was us, and then you also had the red adversary. Um, we were using a tool called Blackjack. This is something that was designed at MITRE Corporation. Um, it's a dynamic network defense platform. Um, it's being researched. It's, it's not something that's openly available to the public. Some of the, um, some of the, the technical components of it have been released to the public, but not all of it. Essentially, we'll talk a little bit more about Blackjack, but the idea is that when you detect an adversary on your system, at that moment you baseline your system. You, you make a copy of it, if you will, and you say, the adversary knows what the system looks like at this point in time. Now we need to make sure that depending on what response we're going to have, if we're going to build on that, we need to at least have those components available so that it doesn't look peculiar to the adversary as they continue to interact with it. And then what we're going to do is sort of separate them off, if you will, to, uh, to this 
environment, almost like a honeypot, and make sure then that they don't see the real system, which the real blue uh, controllers and operators are actually going to be using. So uh, blue had two response approaches, which red did not know about prior to experimentation. One is a blackjack policy filtered content. This was the primary experimental approach. So this is what we started the experiment with. The idea was that blackjack uses policy to dynamically rewrite the contents of web pages. So as I said, first you baseline the data from the time that you detect red's presence on the network. You then separate them off into an environment that has that baseline content. And then what you do is you take what the blue operators are putting on the real system and you use con pol policy to um, rewrite the content and move over to the fake baseline system the things that are okay for red to see. So you keep your essential elements of friendly information on the real blue system that real blue operators are using to conduct the operation. And then you put okay information for them to see true content that's okay that's not compromising that's okay for them to see on this other system but then you also add to that what's called the essential elements of deception information this is the false information that we we are putting onto that system to deceive them as to what blue's true objectives are the backup approach in case that primary failed was to instantiate a separate blue mission system wiki. So you really literally had two different systems. One which is being touched by real operators, the other one which was being touched by red. So there was a real separation, if you will, of the two systems. It's important that the premise of Blackjack is that if red's in your system, pretty much everything there has been compromised. So you have to rethink what is the essential element of friendly information and do they already have it or not. Now, an essential element of friendly information is a piece of information that would tell the opponent exactly what you're up to. So you really have to protect that. That's the stuff you don't want them to have. If they get it, you have to rethink the risk of carrying out what you were planning to carry out because they presumably know what you're planning to do. So that was the, the essential assumption. When the game starts, if red's in there, red's already got everything that is on that system. So blackjack baselines at that point, and that was our premise when we started our deception planning. Mm -hmm. So this is the conceptual architecture. So on the uh, on my left hand side, you've got the C2 mission system, which red, in, which blue is accessing. This is what they're using to plan the military operation. Red comes in and they're exfiltrating. Blue CND is monitoring and analyzing the traffic. If we detect red, then we activate our response, in which case then blue CND baselines the content, as we mentioned, they redirect the attacker. Uh, blue mission system personnel continue accessing that mission system and carrying out the mission. Uh, we, the blue D&D team, start posting D&D content to this redirected system. And Red continues to believe that he's still exfiltrating because the system has been baselined. To Red, it still looks as if he is operating on the same system that he originally penetrated. He cannot tell that this is now a new system, so to speak. So if I can take the mouse for a second. Mm -hmm. This is the protected enclave available to Blue, but not to Red. So this is where we want to make sure that the real 
essential elements of friendly information belong and are preserved from this point forward. Any of that information out here, we have to assume RED can make use of it. So we have to consider that in our deception planning. And then this area here that RED can see and can exfiltrate is where we're going to put our essential elements of deception information. So we see to it that RED takes that away and uh, assumes that it's part of our command and control system. So this is the technical architecture for the blackjack policy filter content. So you've got the client web browser. It comes in with a request. First it goes to the reverse proxy. The reverse proxy is making an intelligent decision about where to direct that request. The decision is being simply based on the credentials that are presented. If those credentials are known to be compromised, then that adversary is redirected over to blackjack. This is where the response is filtered by policy and returned back to the user. If, however, it's an approved blue user, they continue directly on to the C2 mission system. Now, the reason there's a broken arrow here is because, again, remember that the, the, this mission system has been baselined. So we are taking the contents of this system and, based on policy, rewriting them and returning them back through Blackjack, through the reverse proxy, and back to the web browser. Now, one of the big things with regard to this method working is that this reverse proxy cannot introduce any type of discernible delay. If it does to the adversary, they're going to detect that and they're going to know that something is wrong. They won't know what because they didn't know what our experimental approaches were prior to the experiment, but, but this cannot cause delay. And you'll, you, you'll see that come back into play. Now this is the technical architecture for entirely independent content. Here you don't see that dashed line. These are two completely separate systems. So again, very similar. Uh, a request comes in from the client web browser. It goes to the reverse proxy. Again, if it's an approved user, based on their certificate, it's not been compromised, they go straight to the C2 mission system. If it's determined to be an adversary because we know that the credentials are compromised, and again, listen to those words, known, compromised credentials, you'll hear that come back into play as we reveal the experiment to you. Um, they then are redirected to this fake C2 mission system. Again, we've baselined it from the last time that we knew that they had accessed it, but now what we're doing is we're adding D&D content to it. We're no longer using policy and uh, rewriting the contents of the mission system. So we had two hypotheses. One was that blackjack would be effective. The other was that traditional D&D techniques would be effective in denying the access to the real information. So we've alluded to this experiment design, uh, again, as a real-time cyber warfare military scenario experiment. Uh, we created the military scenario at MITRE. We had the four teams that, that we had mentioned. Uh, a few, only a few rules of engagement. Red couldn't change the wiki content, even though it was a wiki, they were not allowed to change anything. They had to choose a location for conducting their operations, and Blue was not allowed to shut off the mission system. They had to stay up and stay operational for the entire duration of the experiment. So Blue is using an unclassified wiki-based information series, uh, system. We're planning this multinational joint military operation called Operation Bigger's Banquet. We love acronyms in the Washington, D.C. area, so you'll see lots of them throughout the presentation, but we try to spell them out. Uh, 
again, playing on, on our geographic locale, we had s several regions that were involved. Uh, the U.S. and the RNE were essentially friends, if you will. Uh, the People's Re Republic of Virginia are kind of like the Confederates in the Civil War era, if you will. Um, the borderlands is this disputed territory that sits between the PRV and the RNE. Uh, the terrorist uh, organization that was responsible for some attacks on RNE and also in the border regions was from the PRV. The task essentially was to destroy the, uh, the leader and his compound, which was located in the PRV. So this is the military mission that we're trying to carry out, and we're using the mission system wiki to try and do all the planning and the coordination and whatnot to make this happen. Uh, this is, these are the true blue objectives, what we were really trying to achieve. So at the beginning of the experiment, this took place over five days. On the first day, we had some planning. Uh, we had several different COAs. A COA is a course of action, uh, what you're planning on doing, your military plan. We, as the Blue D&D team, were presented with four courses of action, four COAs, and we were told to pick two that we liked, and we could use those for D&D purposes. So we selected uh, the ones that we wanted to be presented on the website for Red to See, and the ones that we wanted held back, that we did not want to be presented on the website. This is one of the real ones that we did not want put on the website. Let me, let me just explain yeah, a few of the acronyms. This is, a, um, this is a special forces team. Um, is going to uh, fly into uh, the Republic of New England to go to a safe house. And this is in the in the plan, and then they're going to do a uh, uh, a high uh, altitude, low opening parachute drop, uh, presumably undetected. So they'll drop on top of the bad guy's compound, not onto the compound, but in the vicinity of. Then they're going to use a laser designator to laser the compound, and then on order, a uh, a, a gunship, uh, uh, an airplane with a lot of heavy weapons on it would, uh, would destroy the compound. And then the special forces would exfiltrate using a system. You might have seen this where a bunch of guys get on a rope and fly a balloon and the plane comes along and snatches the rope and the guys on the rope all go get reeled into the airplane. That's uh, called a Fulton Stars. And then the uh, special operations uh, group, the ODA-2, and their equipment is out of the theater. So the idea in this course of action was to have a team go in there, make sure the compound was occupied, and destroy it. So, so on day T-1, uh, Red Team gets into the network very quickly. It did not take Red Team very long to penetrate into the wiki. They collected data about the military mission. They got user credentials. Uh, we were preparing our D&D plan based on what we had decided the EEFI and the EEDI were. Um, Red Team began accessing information. They were particularly interested in safe houses, targets, and the COAs. Uh, we, we found out all of our COAs were blown on the first day. Um, inadvertently, all of our COAs were put onto the, the wiki site on the first day, and Red got them all. The ones that we had asked to be held back were not held back. Red had everything, so they had our full plan. That was our surprise that Frank was alluding to. So we had to do some, some quick scrambling and figure out how we were going to react to that, which was really a lot of fun, actually. Uh, so Blue Team noticed that Red was there. 
um, and that they were accessing information. So they decided to activate Blackjack and start baselining the content. So at this point now, Red is being redirected, if you will, and getting these policy-filtered uh, content in terms of what's on the wiki. Uh, remember how I mentioned to you that that reverse proxy really needed to introduce no discernible delay for it to be believable? Red noticed the delay. Uh, we did not know that right away. We found this out from uh, Injects via the white team later that red team noticed the delay. So they discovered these performance changes. They also noticed that the content differed between users. So remember how I also mentioned to you when I explained the technical architecture that the architecture works if you know that the credentials have been compromised. Well, we detected red on the first day because we knew that some of the credentials they were using were compromised. Well, when they got into the system, they got some other credentials that we didn't know about. So they were seeing that, wow, I see the real blue C2 mission system wiki, which has some content, but then this baseline version has different content. So I'm seeing performance degradation issues and I'm seeing different content. Something is afoot. Red did know that a D&D team was playing, so perhaps there was a little confusion as to what might be going on, but they certainly knew that Blue was up to something. So we were in a pickle on the first day. Um, all our secret plans had been compromised. One of the principles that uh, you use in deception operations is it's all good especially in a case like this where Red might, and they did, figure out, gee, this looks like this might be what they're trying to get me to believe, but this is what they're really going to do. At this point, we have an advantage. We have put them in a position of thinking they know or believe what we're really going to do. So building on the it's all good principle, we said, how can we make use of that? All this has been blown. All of this is compromise. Red knows all this. But we know they believe some of this is the truth, and they know that this other stuff is probably false. So the stuff they're disbelieving, we might be able to use, and the stuff they're believing, we might be able to use. It's all good. So that's what we had to face and deal with on the first day of the exercise. And um, the other bigger point is, it's very hard right now for technology to do this sort of anticipation, reaction, counter-reaction. So having a knowing agent as part of your denial and deception capability is probably a good thing because right today it's hard to build an agent or a technology that will go through that kind of analysis and then replan effectively against an active human adversary. And our opponent was pretty good. Uh, one of the things we did was figure out who that was as much as we could, learn about our opponent, and learn about what our opponent might be expecting. So that was also to our advantage. And that's another thing that humans tend to do pretty well uh, relative to technology. So as Frank said, Red was very good, but Red did make one mistake. All of the blue operators were using the same web browser and the same operating system. So blue computer network defense was able to detect a red signature because red was using a different operating system and a different browser so with that signature blue was then able to start enumerating accounts which greatly helped us with our D&D plan because we knew which accounts red was reading which meant we knew where to feed information and we knew what information to feed because we knew red was seeing it 
So on day two, uh, we had to approach Blue Computer Network Defense with a brand new D&D plan. We had previously written a D&D plan, but when all of our codes were blown, we had to go back to the drawing board and write a new D&D plan. The interesting thing was, of the four COAs that were compromised, the COA that we, act, that we showed you that we actually ended up carrying out was one of the ones that we had given to Red. So Red simply did not believe it. They did not believe that we were going to do it, but that's the one that we actually enacted. So there's a little irony in there. So in any case, we came up with a new D&D plan using the knowledge from the Red Signature and the enumerated accounts from Blue C&D. We were able to start developing cover story persona roles, we were able to start disseminating the essential elements of deception information via email traffic, and we sent it to, to accounts that we knew were compromised. So we created relationships with people on the blue planning team, um, you know, lieutenants and colonels and people from OGA, the other government agency, essentially intel organizations, who are communicating back and forth about what they were doing. So the, the interesting thing is that red initially believed that we were going to use force. All of our COAs clearly showed we were planning to use force. So one of the big things we had to come up with in our D&D cover story was, oh gosh, it was some you know, idiot lieutenant who, who had put those COAs out. We didn't actually intend for those to be put on the blue mission system. What was he thinking? writing COAs which had force, there's no way we would use force. Relations are very sensitive between these, these different regions and entities. And besides which, we want Hackloid the terrorist. We want to actually extract him and pull him out of the country because we want him to stand trial for some terrorist attacks that he had engaged in. So, i.e., we want him alive. We're not going to use force. So it was a really a fantastic cover story to, to correct for, for the big mistake that we had on day one. And we, we were able to discover from Red Actions and from White Injects that Red actually bought it hook, line, and sinker. So we came up with new fake COAs that we put on our website that, you know, the, the poor lieutenant who had his hand smacked had to go back to the drawing board and write up some new um, COAs for, for the, the general to consider. And none of those had uh, you know, violent scenarios in. It was essentially saying that special forces will be deployed on the ground, they were going to surround the compound, and they were going to kidnap him. Or actually, if I'm staying corrected, we knew he was moving. Yeah, we were going to try to uh, incentivize him to move uh, yes. because of the threat to the compound. And uh, we invented a, a inside agent, a secret agent working for the blue side called Cotton Dollar who's feeding us the information that would allow us to time our snatch operation. So we were going to snatch and capture uh, Hacklet, who was the bad guy, uh, according to this cover story. We were going to snatch him and uh, uh, have him uh, exfiltrate with the, uh, with the Special Forces ODA. Um, what we were able to do is, is make Red continued to disbelieve uh, some of these COAs because, remember the AC-130 gunship, you know, you can, you can simulate that that AC gunship is actually around, but the Red side is smart enough to figure out they're not really going to do anything. So that sounds like maybe it is a snatch operation. And then we premised a lot of our intelligence on this cotton dollar and uh, deal, deal, inside information and fed that back through these channels we knew that Red had compromised to make the story more believable. 
And we also tried to add this human element. Now that we know that red is kind of on to us, uh, we have to find a fall guy so this poor lieutenant's getting his hand slapped and has, has extra work to do and so forth and so on. So this all was part of a new scenario. And then finally, what you want to do in denial and deception is make use of all your assets, all of your, every, everything you've got. And the Joint Task Force, which is the main military operational element, was the central focus of this Operation Beggar's Banquet. But the sandbox, the environment, and both sides knew this, had other elements in it, one of which was a U.S. aircraft carrier task force out there in the Atlantic answering basically to the Department of Defense and the President, not to the Joint Task Force. So it's there, but everybody kind of lost sight of it because they were all focused on these courses of action and the Joint Task Force. And the beauty of using this fake double agent named Cotton Dollar was that we had read convinced that because we had this insider, we knew all of Hakolite's movements. And we knew when, since we knew when he was moving, we could extract him with a special forces team. And, of course, we released information about when we were planning on making that happen, which, of course, was false. What that did, in effect, was it made Red ensure that Hackley actually stayed in his compound for protection, which is exactly what we wanted because we wanted to blow it up. So it worked beautifully to our benefit. So on, on the night that they thought we were picking him up, uh, they kept him in the compound, and instead we flew the, the AC-130 in and blew it. Well, it was actually not the AC-130. We faked the AC-130. What we did is we flew, unknown to any of the Joint Task Force, including the special operators, um, aircraft off the aircraft carrier. And because their lasing would illuminate the target so we could destroy it, um, they weren't expecting that. They thought they were doing something else. Um, it came as a surprise to pretty much everybody in the Joint Task Force except for the commander and a few other people. So using re resources and channels of communication outside the Joint Task Force enabled us to execute this mission uh, and gain the element of surprise, even on our, our own side, because everybody thinks we're going to do some of those COAs that had already been compromised. And remember that white team is overseeing all of this. So white team is periodically asking, probing red team, what's your situation assessment of what's going on? And likewise, whenever red would want to make a physical move, i.e. move a sniper team in, go into the compound and search and try and find Cotton Dollar, uh, that information was passed to white team as an action, a physical action. And then, of course, white team then passed that to us. So we were able to see in real time that the things we were providing through this, this um, fake wiki that Red was actually seeing. And we could tell what they were believing and what they weren't believing and dynamically plan accordingly. Part of the principles of denial and deception operations is that you want to build in actions that will cause your opponent to behave in certain ways that allow you to monitor the effect you're having. So you can judge whether you need to reinforce the deception, whether deception isn't working at all, whether some parts of it are working or not, and you can uh, readjust as you go. This is pretty important because not every uh, ploy is going to be uh, believed, uh, not every uh, secret is going to stay hidden, and you need to s sort of build in to the operation things that will help the opponent show you what's uh, working and not working. 
Okay, so on day three, white team gave us blue an inject and told us that the hackalate compound was destroyed. However, we did not know whether hackalate was in the compound or not. So, mission may be accomplished, but not entirely clear at this point in time. So, red team responded to this, this um, you know, physical force with some propaganda, uh, which was rather amusing, and then we provided some propaganda back. Uh, we started designing this idea of trying to fish out compromised accounts. As we had said, sometimes Blue knew which accounts were compromised, but sometimes Blue didn't. So when Red had gotten in on that first day and they had compromised a bunch of accounts, they weren't necessarily using all of them. We actually found out after the experiment that Red was holding back on a few accounts and saving those for use later. So the credentials were compromised, but Red had not been using them up to a point in the experiment. So we didn't really know if they were compromised or if they weren't. So there was a subset of account credentials that fell into this category. So we thought, well, let's see if we can try and use traditional D&D techniques to determine whether those accounts have been compromised or if they haven't. So we came up with this plan, which we didn't enact on this day, but we, we did the, the next day, you'll see on day four, which was let's pretend we're going to extract our fake double agent cotton dollar. We're going to have, this is the deal deal that we were talking about. Uh, Kelly Deal was the name of our intelligence um, agent who was associated with this uh, mission. So we were going to extract Cotton Dollar from different locations and different times, and we fed each of those at a particular time via white cell to these different compromised accounts to watch and see what kind of a physical action would Red say they were going to take. Um, and I'll... I'll, I'll give you the, the spoiler, Red took physical actions, so, so we'll, we'll, we'll tell you a little bit more. But in the meantime, Red Team was providing co-assessments to the White Team, so we were getting some idea of what Red was seeing and thinking. Um, we confirmed that they believed that the, that the mission had actually not been carried out. So some of the propaganda that we had sent in response to Red indicated that that was essentially an accident, non-military that caused that destruction of the compound. And it was convincing enough that Red actually believed it and still believed that we were not conducting the military operation until the evening of day three. So they thought we had not conducted the mission when in fact we already had. So uh, they continued collecting information from the wiki. Uh, finally, we got an inject from the white team that they did find Hackleight's body, he was dead. Uh, we sent out some more propaganda with regard to that. Uh, and at this point, obviously, Red knows that the mission's carried out. So here's where we are. We've got success. We've been successful on the blue side in collecting enough intelligence on Red to understand some of their operating procedures, one of which was they were very poor on trade craft. And what, I'll, what I mean by that is if our agent's name is Cotton Dollar, that's, their, that's the code name for our secret agent, we found that Red was using that same code name. If we had a, uh, an extraction point called Point Alpha, where the Special Forces guys would show up to be extracted, Red was using the same point and coordinates and times as we were using in communicating these things. This is not the best kind of tradecraft because it means we know they're reading our messages. It also means we know exactly which message is going to which people they might be reading. And that's the sort of uh, knowledge we use to uh, 
surface the compromised accounts and identify the accounts that were still secure. If they acted on it, information to the compromised accounts, we'd know it because they'd use the times, locations, and code words. They weren't using good tradecraft. In, in real life, you would never call information about cotton dollar, cotton dollar information. You'd give it a new name like whiskey pig, and there would be no association, so nobody would know where it came from. You wouldn't use the real times or locations or identifiers. That's just basically good counterintelligence or counterespionage tradecraft. But we had been monitoring Red's behavior, and we noted that they were making these slip-ups, so we figured we could exploit that. So on day four, we decided to enact this cotton dollar extraction ruse that we had concocted on day three. So we fed the information to White Team, who then made sure that for whatever, remember White Team's the, you know, all-seeing, they know which accounts Red actually has and which ones Red doesn't. They make sure they provide the appropriate information at the times that we designated to Red, and then we watched and saw Red indicate to White Team what physical actions they wanted to take, where and what time, and then of course that information was provided back to us so we could see what they were actually reading, and we did manage to determine uh, that of that subset of unknown credentials that I had mentioned to you, there was yet another subset of those credentials that Red did have access to. There were some that Red hadn't compromised, but there were some that Red had compromised but hadn't used, were, they were holding back. And so we were able to root that out, which was a rather interesting component of the experiment because that wasn't something that we really intended to do. And in the end, we developed, again, some more uh, deception indicating that cotton dollar was not going to be extracted, too many sensitivities, you know, et cetera, et cetera, uh, and cotton dollar extraction is being postponed. So at that point, White decided we had captured sufficient observables and called an end to the experiment. But interestingly, we ended the experiment with Red still believing that cotton dollar existed. So had we continued, we, we, we could have exploited that further. We played traffic through the compromised channels all through this day so that Red perceived that the Special Forces guys were trying to get Cotton Dollar out. Cotton Dollar was running around to these various extraction points. Cotton Dollar doesn't show up at the extraction point because they get very spooky because they think Red is there. And in the case of some of these points, Red knows they are there. They've already sent a sniper team. So we were able to play into what we expected Red's reaction would be. And that's another principle of good deception planning. You must anticipate the possible reactions of your adversary to the deception and follow through that storyline in a natural way so that the next steps and the next steps and the next steps continue the movement of this scenario. And all through the day, uh, Red kept chasing Cotton Dollar and the Special Forces guy from point to point to point as we identified which accounts were compromised and which accounts were not. We got enough feeling that we understood how Red was operating that we were planning, if this had gone on, to try to force Red into using their weakest tools against us and avoid using their strongest tools. And that would have enabled us to learn even more about their behavior. But at the point where we were ready to start this new endeavor, uh, you know, the Chase Cotton Dollar story, uh, we, we ran up to the, uh, to the end of the exercise.
So, in conclusion, we ended up rejecting our first hypothesis. Uh, blackjack simply did not work. Uh, there were the whole idea of using policy to dynamically rewrite content was fraught with many issues. It was it was technically very difficult, and the way that it was instantiated was just not successful. Obviously, uh, you you probably saw I alluded to some of the issues before I even presented what was happening in the experiment. Uh, so the whole notion of you have to know which credentials are compromised, that reverse proxy cannot introduce a discernible delay, etc. So uh, the second hypothesis, you know, we'll hesitate to say that it was accepted, but we'll say that it was supported. It appeared as if traditional D&D techniques really helped. For one thing, Blue was actually able to carry out the military mission, and we were able to continue playing with Red, if you will, even beyond the execution of the mission. Red didn't even believe that the mission had been successfully executed, and it had, and we were able to continue beyond that um, with, with working on things. So, it seems it seems successful. This also sort of underlines a major point about denial and deception that's kind of counterintuitive. Most of what you want to do can be done with things that are already compromised. Most of the activities that we were planning to use had been compromised, but because we reframed them with a little bit of deception, with a little bit of hiding, we were able to get read to behave in the manner we wanted them to behave without generating huge amounts of falsehood, without making them disbelieve a huge amount of truth that they'd already acquired. So most of our activities were based on things the Red already had, already knew, already had compromised, and we worked around the edges of that just enough to keep Red in the place we want him, doing the things we want him to do, without us having to generate a whole lot of uh, falsehood. We also did not have to generate a whole lot of traffic. A few agencies were uh, involved. The commander of the friendly force, the blue force, the, uh, the representative from that intelligence agency, and the political advisor who was the direct channel to the, to the president and the Department of Defense. Just a little bit of communication was necessary to work this uh, solution, even though most of the pieces were known to Red and were actually going through with what they were uh, planned to do in the first place, although it was compromised. So, you know, the, the very secretive special operators on the ground were able to elude and still get their job done, even though Red knew they were out there somewhere. Their job is to evade uh, nevertheless, and they're very good at that. So we, we built on what we could, even though most of it was already compromised and we only needed a little bit more around the edges to to uh, successfully accomplish what we wanted to accomplish so this is again that principle of it's all good uh, just think about it that way and you'll find a way to use it to your advantage one more so we did find that the computer security analysis was really beneficial. Doing a little bit of intel analysis and being able to develop that signature of RED uh, with their browser and their operating system was extremely helpful. Being able to enumerate the accounts that RED had compromised and had used was tremendously helpful for us in developing the D&D &D plan. Uh, and we found that 
traditional physical D&D techniques were applicable. We were able to read out some compromised accounts, which we were not anticipating being able to do. Uh, lots of future work here. This is but one data point. Uh, it, 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 it suggests that if you go back to the research questions that we had, and I had indicated the primary one was, well, can you use physical D&D &D in computer network defense when you're trying to run a, an operational mission scenario? Well, this experiment suggests that there might be some benefit there, and perhaps it might even be more successful than some tools, but as I said, it's but one data point. So uh, clearly a, a lot more experimentation needs to occur. Uh, and we also observed, you know, after the fact that there should be a little bit more interaction between blue C&D and blue D&D. &D. Uh, at times we found that the two teams were sort of in their own little sandboxes doing their thing and not communicating back and forth with each other as much. We suspect that perhaps if we had understood better some of the things that blue C&D was seeing and thinking and doing, we may have actually been able to take advantage and possibly do a little bit more with D&D. &D. So um, note, note to ourselves to, to interact a little bit more. And a, a big thing that extends even beyond this work and more so into the continuation of the work Frank and I are doing is trying to identify whether there are D&D &D tactics that are unique to the cyber realm. We, we have, in traditional literature, has identified a set of uh, denial and deception tactics and techniques like masking and mimicking and masquerading and inventing and decoying, for example. Uh, those work in the physical world. They work in the cyber world. But are there any tactics that are unique to the cyber world that don't work in the physical world? We're very curious about that, and we're hoping to, to uh, determine whether there are. At this point, the jury is still out. We know there's a different, if you will, geophysical instantiation of a reality in the cyber world. Uh, time and space and volume are totally different. Uh, numbers of things are totally different. So we expect that there are probably some techniques for denial and deception and some techniques for counter-deception because of those physical uh, instantiations being so different from what we're familiar with in the physical world. But so far, um, we seem to find some strong parallels with what we know about from the physical world, from domains of denial and deception we're, we're more used to. And uh, what we found in this experiment was that we can fit into that computer network defense environment fairly effectively, at least in this case, and uh, we're carrying that work forward. And with that, uh, we're happy to welcome any questions that you might have. Yes. You know, what, listening to your scenario, it looks kind of fairy tale because it's in, I don't know, the context, the rules and what was going on. If the red team was over here, probably they had a different uh, opinion. And basically, you were saying that the white team, they were leaking the information from the red team to you, was also the other way around, that the white team would leak the information from you to the red team, or if you didn't have that leaked information, what would have happened? Yeah, that was, that's a very good question. Uh, we probably could have explained it a little bit better. White's rules were they would give to Blue whatever Blue would normally get in terms of intelligence about Red. Given that we have intelligence collection on our opponents, White would only re release to us things that would be normally expected to be collected and analyzed in the Blue intelligence system. 
we didn't want to play an entire intelligence operation, so we only had blue operators and D and D as part of operations. So white had to represent blue intelligence, but they didn't leak everything. They only leaked to us what we would expect to collect on red in a normal operational environment. Conversely, they only released to red what red's collection would normally allow them to see of the blue side. So they were a pretty much a, uh, a fair and, and even-handed uh, player in this. They, they didn't simply give it all away. Uh, they were representing the red and blue intel business and just releasing as much as we could expect to. Now they required us to ask the right questions. If we didn't ask the right questions, they wouldn't give us stuff just gratis. So it was incumbent on us to, to intelligently form questions that would uh, be asked of our own intelligence collection capabilities and uh, then they would answer those when they when they had the information because of Red's behavior. Um, does that answer your concern? Oh, yeah. So White, White injects essentially consisted of physical actions that resulted in an observable. Yeah. So Red sent a sniper team into a safe house location. We would get that information. Uh, we dropped a, a bomb and something blew up Red would get the information, something blew up and where it blew up. So it was those sorts of physical observables that both blue intelligence, if we had a blue intelligence capability, and red intelligence, if they had such a capability, would be able to observe with their own um, methods of collection. They just, sometimes they leak into the newspapers and then when it gets kind of hot and some, somebody's losing really bad, then they change the rules or they get sides, right. so that's why I was asking that question. Right. White was very fair, and red created propaganda, and blue D&D, we created propaganda, and we both purposely gave it to white to disseminate to the other side. So, as I said, white was very fair, and yes, we were allowed to ask questions each day, but we had to ask our questions correctly, and the only things we were given were physical observables. So, although red may have provided situational awareness to white, White kept that to themselves unless it was a physical observable and also unless we asked a question that was very poignant so that we would get that information. That brings up a good point about doing denial and deception in general. The more you know about the target, the, the party you're trying to influence, uh, the, the, the better off you are. And as we learn more about how Red was behaving and their tradecraft and their technique, uh, we were able to use that information. So you really do want to collect as much information about your target, uh, in our case it was red, as you can possibly get. You also want to collect information about your own side. You want to know what your side is doing and how much red can see of that. And as I said, it's all good when we know red sees that and we find out that they really did see it. We want to think about is that something we might want to make use of. At the back end, um, you want to have an uh, assessment of what worked, what didn't work, why it seemed to have worked, and so forth. So you're trying to do a self-assessment. What did we do? What did they react to or not react to? And you want to also, as much as possible, see how much did they go away with. And normally uh, we don't do this. It's not a good principle, but in this case, because it was the end of the exercise, we sort of let Red, no, you've been smoked, and we fooled you, and Cotton Dollar was 
pretty much artificial. We sent them a Confederate $1 bill and said, here's your cotton dollar. Um, don't do that. That's not good deception practice. Don't ever tell them, you know, they got fooled because you just want them to go away happy and be good customers and maybe come back and get fooled again. So, but in this case, we did that. Other questions? So let us ask you a question. What do you think? What's your reaction? Yes, ma'am. Um, I was just wondering why you didn't use any virus or malware to attack their computers or find out information from the red team. We should have presented that as a rule. <laughs> so we were we were operating in a lab at Mitre Corporation, and we we there were lots of. Um, Lots of conversations held to ensure that no malware was going to be released. We were operating on our network where we had real minor users trying to conduct their business. We could not afford to have malware released. So we had to very clearly answer up the chain that no malware would be introduced. So that's why. We do quite a bit of research in all of these areas of computer security. And... Um, we have to make sure that we have, uh, you know, like bio labs, you know, they have different levels. We have to be careful like that, uh, that we don't inadvertently do something unintended and have bad consequences. So we had to follow those rules. Your point's well taken. You, you would certainly, if you saw opportunities in a real environment, uh, make the appropriate people aware of those possible opportunities. And, uh, but again, whether you use technical tools or technical techniques or you use this kind of denial and deception, one of the things you want to think about are unintended consequences. We had to be prepared with the propaganda when this guy's compound blew up and he was destroyed. We had to be prepared with the right propaganda that said, because our story was we were going to snatch him. We wanted to bring him to justice. It wouldn't be the policy to you know, just take some guy out. Of course, that was then and today it would be a little... Anyway, so we had to have a propaganda campaign ready if we succeeded. And, and, and of course, you'd probably want to have one ready if you failed as well. But uh, we had to have one ready. And <laughs> their propaganda was sort of an easy to anticipate. So ours fit right in and, and it worked uh, nicely because we, we kind of knew what they would say when this happened. And we were ready for it with a response. I saw some other hands shoot yeah. up. Other opinions on, on all of this or reactions to all of this? Anyone else? Well, thank you very much for inviting thank us you. to Purdue.